if you have a Bible, we're going to be at two passages of Scripture this morning. So just, again, if you're new or trying to, like, remind yourself about Redeemer, like, our, our heart's desire is to work through books of the Bible. And so um, we, have, we were in a study through the book of Mark, kind of led us up to Easter. And then we started a new series just a few weeks ago on marriage, and then we'll jump back into Mark here in a few weeks. Um, but we've been talking about marriage and family, and so we've been in the past two weeks talking about marriage. Tonight, to this morning, we'll do the same thing. We'll kind of round out our study of of looking at specifically the husband and wife, marriage, peace, and preparing for marriage for those of you that are, or if you're single, or uh, as a grandparent or others, as you try to encourage maybe your children, if you have children, and blessed with children, to encourage them in the Lord. Uh, today, though, I wanted to address, uh, we've been on this journey, we've looked at um, God's design for marriage, looking at Ephesians 5, and we looked at Ephesians 5, and we studied uh, how God has designed marriage between a man and a woman, and that they have distinct roles, and there's this great picture that God has of, his, of the marriage, and this picture of the church, Christ and His church, how a marriage is to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, and His atoning work of, uh, on the work on the cross, and how a picture of a husband loving his wife, literally laying down his life for another. This idea of a marriage being a mutual, presenting one another to Christ by becoming more like Him through marriage, how this is such a great tool in the toolbox of your spiritual growth, is marriage. And then this past week, we looked at conflict and communication and how important that is, that, listen, that we cannot let the sun go down on our anger, how, how important it is to, to make sure that we're not becoming what we're going to talk about this morning is. Um, and, and so we want to really focus on our marriages. But I want to ask you this question this morning. Have you ever asked this question, maybe out loud to yourself, maybe you've said it to your own spouse or something, but probably not. Maybe it's more of an internal question. But have you ever asked this question and said, how did we get here? Like, I, you know, you, you thought you had a picture of what marriage was going to be like. You had a picture of what your relationship would look like. And so you have this picture of maybe marital bliss, that we would have all these children, or we would have these, this beautiful family and all these different things. And then all of a sudden, maybe that's for some of you, five years, three years, 10 years, 15 20, 30 years, and you ask this question, you say, how did we get here? The things that didn't, here's the reality, is things don't go bad overnight. Rarely is it all of a sudden, the switch happens, and all of a sudden our marriage is in a terrible place. Uh, yes, there can be sin that leads to something like that, but oftentimes there's stuff that's happening behind the scenes, and it's a slow, slow decay. And you might be asking that question, how did we get here? You know, maybe it's those little moments you kind of stopped paying attention to one another. All of a sudden, those things that, like, that you loved about that person when you were in the dating process or when you were courting and when you were engaged and you're, you know, you're opening doors for her, her and you're pursuing this person and you love them and you're, you're re rearranging your schedule and all these things and all this stuff is so important to you. But all of a sudden, over time, the little moments... You stopped paying attention. Maybe the, the hugs became less frequent. Or maybe going to bed at night together, all of a sudden that wasn't happening anymore. There for a while it was always a hug and a kiss, good night, before going to sleep. But all of a sudden, quickly, those things haven't happened in a while. And you might be asking the question, how did we get here? 
I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. I think it's on the screen. Is Proverbs 24, starting in verse 30. Because all I'm really going to do this morning is two simple passages of Scripture. We've been in Ephesians for the past two weeks, and today we're going we're gonna to jump back into Ephesians in a, in a second. But first, I wanted to open by looking at this verse. The Proverbs are such, they're such wisdom, obviously. Um, and, it, and, and you have to picture this as like a, a father talking to his son and trying to give advice to his children and give his advice to his son. And here, if we look at verse 30 of Proverbs chapter 24, listen to what it says, because there's two areas I believe that we have to protect. And I would argue this isn't just applied to marriage. This applies to the whole, holistically of all of our life and relationships. But one is this, because this directly, especially the second point, directly affects singles, whether you're a teenager or an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old, all the way to the rest of, the, of your days. There's two aspects that I want us to focus on that are important in protecting your marriage. The first is this, is marital laziness. It's marital laziness. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 says in God's Word. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. You see, what, what, what is this picture here of this person? He says this idea of a sluggard, this person who's lazy. And what does it say? He goes by this vineyard. He's like, I passed by this vineyard of a, of a field that was owned by a sluggard, this lazy person. And what he sees, he says he describes him as lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of a field and a vineyard and this beautiful, what would have been this beautiful, I mean, think of the beautiful vineyards, maybe in California, the picture of what it takes to have a beautiful vineyard, that it's going to require work and it's going to require detail and tending to it and removing weeds and plucking all the things that can cause it harm and not not to it to flourish. And what do we get a picture of? We get a picture of a vineyard. It's one overgrown. I can't help but think over the past week or so, my wife and I and our kids have been uh, working in our front yard. So those of you that have been in our house, you know it's on a hill. Uh, and, and on the left side, looking at our house, the left side was just full of these junipers. These junipers, this house is 20, I think 26, 27 years old now. And these junipers are about 26 and 27 year old. And so I know every time I go to Lowe's or Home Depot to look at plants, we're looking at plants, you see a juniper, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, don't even touch this thing. Because I know now what it's like to have to remove those suckers. Those things are no joke. Those things are, I mean, literally over 26 years, some of them were about this thick. And then they would just extend, it seems like, to the other side of the room. This, this had just become overgrown. It had not been tended to as we were removing it this weekend. And we removed and we're cutting. We're using a chainsaw to cut this thing out and cutting it out. We're using axes. We're, we're cutting. We filled up our church trailer. We borrowed the church trailer, removed everything, left it at Austin's. And literally to the brim from the front all the way to the back of our church trailer, to the very top of it, was full. Like we're like shoving the door closed to try to keep everything all inside of it so we could get rid of it. It was this, but what was it? This, what happened over time, right? You don't notice that growth that was happening. You don't notice that the plant is getting a little further into the yard. But what happened was when we cut it back, there was a line that we found. There was a, a line that was originally the bed. And guess how far into the juniper had come into the yard? It was about seven feet probably, six, seven feet of distance in some areas where this thing had just overgrown and taken over. 
And then inside of it was death. There was different ones that were dead. There's vines. There's all these thorns. We got to experience those as well over the time. But the picture that he's giving is this. He's giving this picture. And I want you to see this, what hap- its effects on a marriage. When you don't, as Ephesians 5 tells us, when you don't cherish one another. When, as, as Ephesians 5 tells us, nourish one another. When you leave it unattended. You see, we, but the problem is that doesn't happen overnight. That, doesn't, that, that happens steadily over a long distance of time, of slow neglect, of neglecting to follow some of the things that already got you here, the paying attention to someone's needs, to loving them as Christ loves the church, as Ephesians 5 has been telling us in our study. All of a sudden, over time, we, we forget to say, I love you. We forget to talk, to catch up on our day. I think of Amanda and I, my wife Amanda and I, we've been married 16 years, uh, coming up on 16 years in July. Um, and I, I think of our, our marriage from, from before we met, a lot of it was built on communication. We, we were apart for about two years. Um, when I graduated college, she still was in college, and so she had two more years. So I moved back to Charlotte area, Amanda stayed in Clearwater, and finished her degree pretty quickly so that we could get married. But in those two years of distance, we spent a lot of time on the phone. We spent a lot of time talking and talking through getting on the same page and like, okay, what does it look like? What would, how many children would you like to have? Like, what, what does church and ministry look like? Like, my, my, my calling in life is towards ministry. Like, how do you feel about that? We talked about adoption and those kind of things. We talked about missions and like, what could that look like if we ended up being missions? We talked through all these things and we communicate. But what happens though? Over time, that communication, you know, on the front end, you're trying to, it's this picture of winning someone, right? And so you'll do all kinds of things. You'll pay attention to their what's going on. But what happens on the day in and day out of two sinners living in a home together, married, and all of a sudden one's getting focused in the work. And then all of a sudden you bring children into the picture. And all of a sudden there's two more children and three more children or four or whatever, how big your family becomes. And all of a sudden there's lots of things that need your attention. But what doesn't happen sometimes if we're not careful? The relationship can grow cold. It can grow distant. And all of a sudden, the things that you know are essential to have a healthy, good marriage have kind of gone unattended. Kind of like our passage here. He says, By the vineyard of a man lacking in sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. I want to ask you this question. Where where do you see marital laziness? You see, because here's the thing. Whether you've been married 30 years, whether you've been married two years, or one year, or maybe you're considering marriage. It is so easy to let neglect and laziness creep in. You see these things that you want, you might be like, I want a good marriage. I want to have this good marriage, or I want to be this good person. But guess what that takes? It takes work. Like getting in that yard, I did not want to do it. Like I avoided that for two years. It was like, this, this, it just looks awful, but I'm like, that's going to require too much work. I'm like, we could hire it out, but like, that's expensive. And so it's like, well, I guess we'll do the work. Thankfully, Colson stepped up, <laughs> my oldest son. He was willing to jump in. I'm like, man, it's not like, for those of you that have still the preschoolers and the younger ones, it was like, man, I remember all those days of when there was no help, when they're, you're like distracting you. It was like, man, this is nice having some help around the house here. 
But we don't want to do that work, right? We're not willing to put in the effort that maybe we did before we got married, but all of a sudden now that we're married and years have gone by, are we still putting in the work? We neglect our spouse. Our communication maybe breaks down and all of a sudden our love becomes cold. And maybe the thorns of bitterness and resentment begin to creep into your heart. And if we're lazy in our pursuit of our spouse, our relationship will become stagnant. And our intimacy will wither away like the nettles of this overgrown field. See, we need to be diligent to not let these things creep in. And listen, this is, as Paul David Tripp says, this is the day-by-day work. That it takes his book. Listen, I cannot entrust you enough to this book. It's called, um, it used to be called, so you might find two versions of it. It's now called Marriage. It's an updated version. It has a couple extra chapters at the end. But the, the book that I've read over the years and used in marital counseling and others is called What Did You Expect by Paul David Tripp. It talks about six commitments, but in all of his book, all of it is about a lot of the things that we've kind of discussed a little bit over the past few weeks. But there's this tendency to just think that, oh, I want something, but we're not willing to put the work to in to get what we want. The day-by-day aspect of pursuing and loving each other. And I think of our relationship, my wife and I, from where we were to where we are today, I genuinely, and we talked about this even recently, like we genuinely would look at our relationship and say, I love her and she, I'm pretty confident she loves me too, more today than we did before we were, when we were dating and when we first got married and we were standing in front of all these people and, and at Killian Hill Baptist Church and as we're putting, saying these vows together and before God and all these people and super nervous and excited and all the anxiety and all the different things that day. I mean, there was a lot of joy in, in my heart towards this beautiful woman that God had given to me and that had been prayed for. But I tell you today, we love each other more, but have we had way more arguments since being married than we did before marriage? Absolutely. I mean, this week, I mean, I think of even this week, we've, we, had, we had lunch earlier this week, and, and that was one of those tough lunches where we're trying to deal with conflict or dealing with something like that we're talking about on Sunday. Yes, the pastor has to deal with these things too. Uh, and we talk through things. It might have been a little cold at first, but we work through those things, and we come to an agreement, but it takes effort. It takes work. Listen, I promise you, Scripture is full, Proverbs especially, of the importance of putting in the effort. I believe a lot of this can be applied to our marriages. Don't let marital laziness creep in. Don't let the neglect over time. You don't even notice it, but it quickly creeps in. So first area where we really need to protect our marriages in marital from, is from marital laziness. The, sex, the second one is sexual sin. And so if you have a Bible, I want us to go back to our main passage that we've been in over the past uh, few weeks. So Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Um, I don't know about you if you've even heard of the morning brew. Anybody heard of it? I don't know. Morning brew, it's a um, really, it's, it's amazing how you can get these just dropped in like little snippets on different news items and little articles that someone else does the work of kind of compiling that list and they put it in an email and it's a simple way to catch some information. But in the Morning Brew this week, it had an article on Utah shutting down certain illicit websites. Uh, and in the article, it stated that this one pornographic website had more than, I want you to hear this. I want, I want some of these statistics to sink in for a second. This one website, more than 76 million U.S. visitors a day in February. 
This is just one website. And making it the fourth most popular website in the country. Only behind Redeemer.community. Oh, just kidding. Just kidding. Nah, silly joke, sorry. But I know at least one person, in, I know at least one, one more joke here real quick. Well, I know at least one more person in the room, they'd be shocked to know that AOL was just hanging on in the top 100. So if you still have an AOL email uh, or you still use AOL, you're still in the top 100, just barely. It, it came up, actually. It increased somehow uh, this, this past, <laughs> past year. But listen to this. So the top, the top three, I'll tell you the top three. The Google.com, number one. Naturally, a lot of us, that's our search engine, with, whether it's Safari or others. Google.com, you could probably guess these. YouTube.com and then Facebook are the top three. And then this particular website. And I want you to notice something. This particular website, of the 2.38 billion website visits this year, 2.28 billion of that was on a mobile device. You know, listen, we must protect ourselves and specifically our marriages from the evil one. This is an area where countless people, listen, the statistics say that the average first exposure to pornography is at the age of about seven or eight. Some of you have four-year-olds, five-year-olds. Think of that as only about a year or two away. You see, sexual sin is rampant in our world today, and really it begins with an improper view of sex. Um, I would encourage you, Meaning of Marriage, uh, and also Paul Tripp wrote another book called um, Sex in a Broken World. Uh, that's a really, really excellent book. I think, I think every Christian should read that, not just say someone, oh, someone who's struggling with this or something like that. Every person, because I think we all can easily bring in, because culture is pushing an agenda, pushing a sexual revolution on uh, us, and, and it greatly affects our view of sex in marriage and outside of marriage. It greatly um, influences our culture. And so Paul Tripp has written an excellent book on that one I entrust to you. But also in uh, Tim Keller's book, Meaning of Marriage, as well, he has a chapter on it that's really, really, really good as well. But this is something that is so important. I want, you, I want us to read this passage of Scripture. It's in Ephesians 5. And notice how this beginning of chapter 5, we've looked at Ephesians 4. We've looked at the end of Ephesians 5. And I want us now to look at the middle of it here. And so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to, these, listen to God's Word. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See here, even as we're getting into this idea of protecting our marriage and protecting us from sexual sin, I want you to see something that Paul already is speaking to. He's already talked in, in chapter 4 about, we talked about the new life, the putting off and the putting on, and specifically in marriage, how we're to put off some of the, the, the lying and the deceit and bring honesty and bring the things to the light uh, to pursue one another and all these things that we looked at last week. But here he shifts and he says in chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as his beloved children and walk in love. You see, if we want to protect ourselves from sexual sin, here is almost right here as he's going to get to the antidote, we see it's, it's, call, it's a call to walk in the love of Christ. You want to you have a pure heart 
It begins with your relationship with God. You see, Jesus summed up the law and the prophets. He summed up the whole Old Testament into two commands. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we protect our hearts from sin, and not just sexual sin, but we're going to see sexual sin. We have to get to the heart of sexual sin, too. And I want you to see it in this passage. Look what he says in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity are or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I want you to hear that in the NIV that says not even a hint of sexual immorality should be even named among you. There shouldn't even be a hint of it. But if you look at our world, we are inundated by it. There is no hints. It is out there. It's preached. It is proclaimed. It is all in the news. It is all on the billboards. It's through every... I mean, you watch the Super Bowl ads, and what do you get? You get sex ads. You get ads that will use a sexual overtones to get you to buy something that has un, totally unrelated to the person telling you to buy this product. And here he's saying not even a hint of it. But notice what he connects here. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. So he's connecting, and I want you to see this, he's connecting sexual immorality to covetousness. And what is covetousness? What is it to mean to covet something? It's to want something and to try to get something by really any means necessary. It's wanting something that doesn't belong to you. It's not something, and you go about it in a way that you want. So, so like naturally, you, you look at someone and what they have, and you're like, man, I wish I had that. And you long for something. I want, you to, I want to give you a big warning sign of your heart. So when you start fantasizing of a better relationship beyond what you have, you've hit a pretty, pretty far place. You're long down line the list. Before you know it, divorce, separation, sexual sin is creeping at the door of your heart. If you, all of a sudden you're looking and noticing others, and man, I, man, I wish our marriage like, like that. Or man, man my, my husband, if he would just treat me the way he treats his wife, you no, start noticing the covetousness in your heart and wanting what someone else has or wanting what they have to offer. And here he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is improper for saints. But notice what he says, verse 4. Remember, this is Paul saying, put on and put off, or put off and put on. Notice what he says. Now let therefore be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But what does he say is the cure for covetousness? What is the cure actually for sexual sin? Notice what he says. He could have said anything. He could have said, you know, what could he said next? Okay, there's like, you need to put off this, this filthy, thought, filthy language, put filthy thoughts. Don't let sexual immorality and all impurity be named among you. Instead, focus on Christ. Instead, look to Christ. He could have said these things. He could have said, listen, let the gospel transform you. And what we're going to see is the gospel is needed through all of this. But what does he say? He says, but let there be thanksgiving. Now, how can a thankful heart help us in the fight for purity in our minds and in our own hearts? You see, what is sexual sin? 
It deviates from God's design for sin or design for sex. And what, how did God design sex? He said it is a man and a woman. He, he created them, male and female. And they become one. And how do they do that? They become one in all various ways. But one picture of that is through sexual intercourse. And that is one way that we see a union of two, two people. They literally physically becoming one together. And God designed it this way. And yet, in our culture, in our world, we say, well, sex, if I, I want sex this way, or hey, like, I want it that way, or sure, for this person or that person, or all these different ways. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It, don't let sexual immorality even be named among you. Don't even be, let there be a hint of it in your life, but rather let there be thanksgiving. I want to ask you, are you thankful for what God has blessed you with? Are you thankful for your spouse? Has the day-by-day tilling, the work, the nurturing, the cherishing, has that drifted? It is so, I promise, it is so easy. A man and I have to work at our relationship. If we sit and just assume that we're going to fall in love and stay in love, like, that we've already, we're just set up for failure. Why? Because it takes effort. It takes work. That's the, the laziness, the marital laziness we were just looking at. But here, he says, let these things be put away from you, but let there be thanksgiving. How often are you praying to God and thanking God for your spouse? Thanking God for the way that they help you or the way they cherish you? How often are you thanking God for these things or how often are you showing gratitude to your spouse? Because notice what he says, the warning in verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, isn't that interesting? He connects these things to idolatry. How is it idolatry? How is sexual sin idolatry? How is covetousness idolatry? How are all these things? You have to understand sin, by its nature, it becomes idolatry. Because everything about us, we're worshipers from the heart. You come into this world a worshiper. <laughs> you, we worship things. And, and, and Paul warns us of this in Romans, I think, 125. He warns us that what happens in our hearts is we worship the created things rather than the creator. And all of a sudden, that's what we do. We can worship sex as well, or we can worship a relationship and a person, and we can worship our children or a job. We can worship these things. And what do they become? They become idols for us. They become things that care so much for us that if they were removed, it would grieve our heart. Why? Because it became a God to us. And he warns us of these things, that this idolatry not grab a hold of our heart. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, he says, do not be partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness. Don't you see this? But now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. See, not only are we to walk in love, not only are we to walk in purity, but we're also to walk in the light. What does that look like in your marriage? What does that look like in your home? What does that look like even if you're single? What does it look like to walk in the light? Listen, the darkness is the picture here of sin, and it's the picture of where sin thrives. You see, the, the, the weeds just want to come up, and guess what happens? The weeds of, this, of sin and the darkness of our hearts, they, they naturally grow in the dark. 
How do you, how do you remove these things? How do, you, how do you get rid of sexual sin? How do you overcome sexual sin? Listen, it comes through the light. How do you bring things to the light? How do you do that? You do that through confession. We looked at that last week and the week before as well. That's what I want to spend too much time on this morning. But we've looked at that, right? The importance of seeking confession in your relationships, confessing sins, and being willing to forgive. Being willing to forgive when we've been wronged and when we've been hurt. What happens with the marital laziness, though, is all of a sudden the hurt or the or someone has wronged you and you knew it was wrong, but your, your heart's drifting. And so rather than approaching that, rather than doing the work of, hey, like, we need to get this right, you went to bed and you didn't get it resolved. The next day comes. You kind of go your separate ways. You may come together. You put band-aids on things, but you never deal with the issues. You see, that comes, dealing with issues is bringing them to the light. It's honesty. It's confession. And here he's saying to bring it uh, to the light. I like what Paul Tripp said here. He says, light exposes darkness. And when you live in the light, you expose the darkness of your own heart and the heart of your spouse. You see, living as children of light means living transparently and honestly, confessing sin and seeking forgiveness. But then what are we to do? We're also to repent of sin. We're to We're to seek forgiveness. We're to ask God for forgiveness and we're to turn from our sin. And so we repent and seek forgiveness when necessary. You see, confession and forgiveness are essential to maintaining purity in marriage. Tim Keller writes, Grace is the only thing that can heal the wounds and scars of sin in a marriage. You see, there's a lot of wounds. Because, right, you're putting two human beings together in a relationship. And, the, and this person who you love with all of your heart, and this person who's supposed to love you with all of their heart, when they wrong you or when they hurt you with some words or when they, with, through neglect or something else, when that happens, that hurts. It stings. Listen, you all in this room could criticize me on something. And that's going to hurt because I know most of you in this room but if my, my wife criticizes something in me, that just stings a little harder. The closer someone is to you that loves you, you would think that you would be like, well, this person is seeking out my best. And so when they approach me with something and wanting to correct something or reveal something to me where I was a weakness or struggle, it hurts. But true love is saying, I love you and I want to bring this to your attention. I'm bringing it to the light so that we can move forward with love and grace and consistency and not let the laziness stick, uh, um, set in. So Paul is telling us to walk as children of light. And then in verse 15, I want you to skip down to verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise. So not only do we walk in the light, not only are we to walk in love, not are we only to walk in um, in purity. Not only are we to walk in the light, we're also to walk um, as wise, walk with wisdom, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And be, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks 
There it is again, thankfulness. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, Paul is, is leading us to the example of marriage as he's telling us these things and calling the church at Ephesus to these things. It leads right into wives, submit to your own husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. See, this is the picture of marriage. And so what do we do? I want to just leave you with a, a few thoughts this morning as we round out our time. What do we, what do, we do How do we avoid these pitfalls? How do we protect our marriage from laziness? How do we protect our marriage from sexual sin? And how do we seek purity? Ultimately, and I want you to hear this. I know you're probably like, man, I wanted real real good practical. I'm going to give you some practical things as well. But I want to give you the most important thing. It is your relationship with Christ. Uh, Tying the knot, I mentioned that as well. If you've In the process of being married, if you've already been married as well, another great resource. Tying the knot is what I use for premarital counseling. And every chapter of that, he says this, it's Jesus at the center of your marriage, and then whatever the topic is, in community, uh, in dealing with conflict, Jesus at the center of your conflict, Jesus at the center of, of all of the areas of our marriages. He talks about Jesus being the center. And I want you to understand this, Jesus must be the center of your marriage. You see, why do we fall into the traps of sin? Why do we become angry? Why do we, become, we lead ourselves into sexual sin in other areas? What happens in our heart is we become worshipers. We're drawn to worship and we worship things and we worship all these things. And guess what happens? If we're not properly worshiping Christ, if we're not treasuring Christ above all else, here's what you'll do. You'll make your spouse be that person for you. You'll want your spouse to be God for you, to meet the things that only God is meant to do. And so when you do that, guess what? They fall short. They're going to wreck you. But guess what? They're sinners. And you and I are sinners. And you're in a marriage together that is going to have conflict because you have two sinners who said, I do. It's another book, too, that I would encourage you to read as well. I could list off a lot of books. I've read a lot over the years because this is one of the most important areas that we deal with in our, is our relationship with our spouse. But in this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, a relationship with the Son of God is what needs to be at the center of your marriage. And what is that a picture of? And I want to give you this picture. It's a picture of grace. So how can you love someone and how can you be committed to them? What do you need to do? You need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to remind yourself that God has continued to love me when I have failed to love him. God continues to pursue me even when I fall short. God is willing to forgive me when I have sinned against a holy God. He continues to forgive me and I want his forgiveness and I long for his forgiveness. But what happens when someone wrongs us? What do we do? Sometimes we want to withhold that forgiveness. But when you're preaching the gospel to yourself, when you're reminding yourself of what God has done for you and how much he has forgiven you, what happens? You learn how to forgive. When you want to be forgiven, what does that do? It leads you. When you've been forgiven, guess what it does? It leads you to confess. Own it. Own your sin. Open up. Share your heart. Share your struggle. 
what you might need, though, is this. And I want to give you a few practical things when it comes especially to sexual sin. Because this is rampant, as we were just seeing. We were talking about this website. has been 78 million users a day in the month of February. That's just one website. That's just websites. That's not all the other rampant sex and, 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 and deviancy that there is in our world. I want you to, to hear this. There's a few things, and I think they're important. One is there's a lot of resources that are helpful, but one of the most important things you can do is confess. Bring it to the light, as this passage is talking about. Walk as children of the light. Don't let the darkness of your sin, because guess what? Some of you, I, I've counseled, I, I've counseled men in their mid to late 40s who have struggled with pornography since they were children, and they were still struggling as a grown man, with, married with children, and all these things, continue to struggle. And a lot of it was left in the dark, and he finally was owning up to it and bringing it to the light and con- living a life of confession. But it was taking a lot of work. But listen, if this is an area of struggle for you, I would encourage you, bring it to the light. And maybe you're like, okay, that's a scary, scary task. They might disown me. They might leave me. They may, they may not ever forgive me. Listen, well, that's where I would say, encourage you to maybe talk to myself. I, I've dealt with a lot of this over the years, whether it was teenagers, adults, married, unmarried, single, younger, it doesn't matter. I've, I've, I've talked to all kinds of age groups on this, on this topic. But you need to bring it to the light. And so the importance of confession. So maybe that starts with confessing to someone who is spiritual, like someone who is walking with the Lord and you trust them. They're maybe a person who, that you have their trust. They're in your community group. Or Again, like I'm more than happy to talk to you about that. Listen, don't let embarrassment keep you in the dark. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do is to think, oh, that's too embarrassing. It's too shameful. Or I don't know how people are going to respond. I got to keep my image up. And so, no, live a life of confession. Own your sin. David, it took a long time for David in the Bible to own his sin. It actually took someone confronting him. And maybe that's what happens. Maybe you get confronted. But own your sin. Confess it. Use confession in your fight for purity. Also, I'd encourage you, use accountability. There is all kinds of resources here. Covenant eyes is a great resource. It uses a VPN. It uses, it takes screenshots. It does all kinds of things. You can set up an accountability partner. I've done that for years with different people uh, and helping them uh, to, because they're just, it was a difficult struggle. And it is, it's a real struggle. And it's not something that's just one overnight. It's not just all of a sudden it's over. It's a sanctifying work. So confess it, but use accountability. You can use your spouse in that process as well. I would encourage you um, that she didn't have to be your, quote, accountability partner or vice versa, um, but a trusted friend. But, but don't let it just become, let's sit down and talk. You know, I've been, I've been in those meetings as well, and I've let them. Yeah, it's been a tough week. I've struggled this past week. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, and it's like everyone's sharing their struggles, and then it's like, all right, let's do better next week. And they walk away. No, what's accountability look like? It's owning it. It's confronting it. All right, well, what do we need to do this week? What are we going to do? What are some safeguards? What's some boundaries? What are some guardrails we can put up? How can we be proactive? 
One, one thing that I simply say when I say about confession, not just to people or to the person that you have wronged or ultimately to God, of course, we confess those things, we ask His forgiveness, but I want you to hear this. You also confess when you're struggling. Confess even the, the sin in your heart. You're a sin. By nature, you are a sinful person. And so naturally, you're going to have sinful desires and sinful thoughts. And even if you don't act on them, go to the Lord with those things. Confess that to God. God, forgive me for even having that thought go through my mind. I want to take it captive. So I want, to, I want to be obedient to you and your word. And so, God, forgive me of even my heart, even thinking that. It doesn't mean you have sin, but know that you are a sinner by nature and that you need to confess those things. These are important in your fight in this way. Listen, there's a bunch of, a bunch of great resources here, but the, probably the best resource that I've ever read and I've used over the years is called Finally Free. Um, it's a book written by Heath Lambert. He's a pastor of a church in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. He's a counselor. He's been a seminary teacher as well. Um, he's done a lot of counseling work, and they have a counseling center there as well. But this resource is a great resource because it's talked about how grace and using grace in your fight for purity. Uh, and so if you're like you're a grandparent or something, uh, you're a parent or you're a person who's helping someone else or you're in need of help, I would encourage you. Have someone to read it with you. Again, the accountability piece. Don't try to do this on your own. And for those of us, I want to end with this, for those of us struggling with the, just the day in and day out of marriage, the day in, and you look back and you say, man, how did we get here? I want to encourage you, start small. Start with some of the passages of Scripture that we were looking at in, in last week in Ephesians 4. Start with being tender. Start with, okay, like, let me, let me, let me, today, I'm going to start today and try to remind yourself, okay, today, how can I pursue my wife today? Or how can I pursue my husband today? Or the person that I am in a relationship with today? How can I pursue them? How can I show love to them? Because love is work. It's effort. It doesn't just come naturally. We're not just, we're very naturally self-centered. We're not naturally just loving and, and giving of ourselves. That does not come naturally. So it takes effort, and it takes daily effort. Something that I'm not great at. I have to work in this area, and I need to be reminded of these things. I need accountability in these areas, but pursue one another. Um, be tender. Cherish one another. Remind yourself. Talk to God. Pray for one another. Pray together. Pray as a family. Talk about spiritual things. Pursue their spiritual, uh, their spiritual growth as well. But don't let the laziness step in. Let the gospel transform your marriage. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, the family and the home and raising children. And some of the, some of the things are going to be on discipline. Others are on discipleship, the importance of, of equipping and training and how the church can partner with parents and how we at Redeemer specifically want to partner with you. And I'm excited to do that um, as well together as we, as we look ahead. But, but listen, don't let these two things Get a stronghold in your marriage. Let the laziness, just kind of the slow drift come in. And also the sexual sin that is just crouching at the door. It's all around us. We're surrounded by it. Guard your heart. Scripture says this in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Let God's word protect your heart and your home. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your word. I thank you for um, how you speak into these issues. 
Father, maybe we need to right now just pause and, and, and just sit in this moment for a second. And maybe there needs to be repentance. Maybe there's a rekindling of spirit between couples. And so right now, Father, I just want to pray. I want to pray for the families in this room and the, and the relationships and the different people in this room. And Father, we pray that you would protect these homes. Father, none of us, none of us would ever say, man, you know what? I think I'm going to cheat on my spouse this year. We, I think all naturally would think that we're committed when we started, but something happens. And over time, it doesn't just happen overnight. It happens over time. So, Father, I pray that you'll protect us from the marital laziness, the laziness of the, the day in and day out work that it takes to till the soil of our hearts and to till the soil of the heart of another. I pray that you would help us to live lives of repentance and faith, that we would confess our sins, that you would bring these things to the light and we would live lives of confession, that we'd be willing to be quick to forgive and slow to anger. God, help us to pursue each other and help us to seek help in all these ways. I thank you for the church and its impact in my life specifically and the, the lives of others. And I pray as a church we would be an encouragement to families and to homes, that we would pray for one another, pray for their wholeness, pray for purity, pray for godliness. So we ask for your help in all these things. And we only ask these things uh, in the name of Christ because you are interceding on our behalf to the Father. And so we're grateful for you and for Christ and for what you've done. And all of this cannot be accomplished on our own. We need your help. And so as we're about to sing, we proclaim, yet not I, but Christ in me. And so we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.